You're listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 93. One of the biggest preventable challenges we face is telling ourselves we don't have choices, but the fact is we always do. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Sharon Stein about the choices we have in life and in our jobs. If you're facing some challenges in your life or your job, head to bosssurgery.com. You can find information on signing up for one-on-one coaching calls. And if you're a female surgeon, you can sign up for our group, the Boss Surgeons. Find more information at bosssurgery.com. Welcome surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I have been so excited for this guest for so long. This is Dr. Sharon Stein. She is an amazing colorectal surgeon. She has really empowered the generation of women surgeons. She's a former president in the Association of Women Surgeons. She has a mission of helping support other people. And so I'm so excited to have her on here so we could talk about choices. And so, but first though, let's hear more from Dr. Stein. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here too. All right. Tell us a little bit about this. I know you did not take the straight path towards surgery and I'm really fascinated to hear your story. So go ahead and share what got you to here. Well, I will tell you, this is kind of a two drink story, so I will try to abbreviate it a little bit here, but so I was not the person who was going to be a doctor. I actually have a sister. A lot of you may know her who is a surgeon and she was always going to be the doctor in the family. And so I majored in history in college. I went off and led backpacking courses and lived out of my car for a while, taught ski lessons, lived in Breckenridge, Colorado, and then started selling real estate. And one day just kind of woke up and said, gosh, I'm not doing anything that makes a difference in the world. And it was at that point that I decided I wanted to go back to school and to do something. So it was a very circuitous route, even to get towards medicine, someone who was really smart. I kind of looked and flirted with the idea of being a nurse practitioner or being a physical therapist. And somebody told me, you're not going to be happy unless you're actually the one in charge, which was probably good advice. And decided to go back to medical school. I had no prerequisites. I had done dinosaurs and other failures for my science credit in college. I was a number of years out from college at this point. So I went back, did all my prerequisites in one year, was told by multiple people, you will never get into medical school if you do it that way. You got to do it slowly. You got to take your time. Obviously got into medical school and then fell in love with surgery, which was a complete surprise to me. I got on my surgery rotation. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I'm doing something and was told again, you're too old. You won't get into medical, you won't get into a surgical residency. Again, prove them wrong. That tends to be a, a little bit of, of my theme, I guess, and went into surgery, but it was very circuitous. I had waited tables. I had cooked at restaurants, done all different types of things. So when I got into medical school, when I went into residency, I think I was like more devoted to what I was going to do because I was so excited to finally have the opportunity to be doing something that I really, truly loved. That makes a lot of sense to me, honestly, that really what you did is you developed the persona of saying, I determine what I do. Like I am in charge of what my life is going to look like. And I can take what you say as feedback, but I decide the way. And I think that I think a lot of people that are successful, 
have either developed that over time or develop in the future, start to realize that people's feedback coming from the only what they know, like it's coming from their best thoughts of things. But essentially, the lesson is, is that no one knows what is right for us. And when we start listening to what's right for us, we start to determine what is successful. And just like you said, we don't have that dissatisfaction of like, oh my gosh, no one's telling me what to do anymore. That's where the discomfort comes in. You're saying, I know what to do because I've been telling myself what to do all along. (laughs) You know, it is so funny. There's a great expression. I'm going to misquote it just a little bit. I think it's Kierkegaard who says it's a life that is lived forward, but can only be understood backwards. And I remember when I got into residency and someone said, gosh, you played the game so well. And I didn't even know there was a game, right? I was only making decisions based on what felt best to me at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to different stages of my life. And in the end, obviously things have worked out well for me. I feel very fortunate in everything I've been able to do and where I've been able to go. But it wasn't like some master plan that I had at every point, and this gets into what we're going to talk about today, right? At every point, there's a decision tree and you decide which way to go. And picking one path is always a decision because you've chosen not to do the other paths, even if it's a straightaway path. Exactly. But I mean, I think that you're describing like the resident that has graduated and is now an attending and saying like, no one is telling me what to do anymore. And now I don't know what to do. So now I'm at the mercy of whatever feedback that I get. And it's either absent or wrong, or maybe we'll get lucky. It's so funny because my husband's also a surgeon. And he, at one point, when we were looking at jobs, he was like, how come they don't have a match for this? How come I actually have to go out and have a job and actually have like all the decisions in front of me? He was like so inundated in the whole idea that we were going to, you get into medical school, you apply to a bunch of medical schools. They decide, you know, you get to pick between the ones you got in and then residency, it's a match and fellowship, it's a match. And was so inundated with the idea that he didn't have the choice, like real true free choice, that when he was done, he was like, I don't know what to do with choices. Exactly. And so take us through this idea of choices. So we all think that we have choices, but we're really usually not giving ourselves all the options. Choices show up all over our lives. What I would say is that I'm Imagine you were deciding whether to go back and see a patient or to go home at the end of the day, right? Right there. It's a really simple choice. You're going to either go back and swing by the patient's room or you're not. Well, that choice is predicated on a bunch of different factors. Are you just trying to see if that patient passed gas? I call a rectal surgeon. I talk a lot about gas, right? So are you just trying to see if that patient (laughs) passed gas or did that patient have a complication and you think the family might be there and you really need to have a good conversation with them? Well, those different pieces will help you make different choices. The other thing, are you going home because you just wanted to see if like your bill showed up from the electric company or are you going home because there's a family event that's really important? So you have all these different factors. Like it just seems like a simple, do I go to see the patient? Do I not go to see the patient? But there's all this history and pieces that go behind there, which we all come into every single choice with. And then based on all of that, the importance of those different things, how much will making this choice or not making this choice make a difference to the patient, to the patient's family, to my family, to me in terms of, oh, I really need that workout, whatever it is, you're making those decisions. But every time you make that decision, it's really simple to go, oh, that patient's okay. I can find out if they passed, you know, flatus in the morning. 
Well, once you make that decision, you're deciding not to do something in order to do something. And that's true with everything. The big decisions, the the small decisions, you know, your institution changed your staplers. Am I going to just, well, I can just use that stapler and go forward and not do something. Well, you're making decisions about that, right? And the other decisions are how much effort would it take for me to fight this decision? How much effort would it take for me to get an exemption to using that specific stapler? This is true in everything. And we often say, particularly in healthcare, where we're so stretched right now, we don't have a choice. We don't Mm -hmm. have a choice about how many patients to see in our clinic. We don't have a choice about what the time of each patient is, all these different things. The fact is that every one of those is a decision tree where you give something up in order to do it. And there's also the, the inverse is that you can decide not to do it. What would you actually be giving up if you made that other decision? Oh, I, I completely agree. And, and I'll, we'll start with the, the clinic patient too, because so we're sitting there in clinic and we have a decision to see them or not. I mean, we tell ourselves, I'm saying this because I remember sitting in front of the computer going, I do not want to go and do this. <laughs> I don't want to go see this person. I just want to sit here or I want to go home. And I'm telling myself, I don't have the decision. And the fact is, I actually don't, literally don't have to see that patient. I mean, I could leave. I could go home right then. And already we cause ourselves distress saying, I don't have a choice. And when we say, I don't have a choice, for me, it shows up as powerlessness. It breeds resentment. I get frustrated. And so not only do I not see the patient or go home, I sit there and just stew about it. (laughs) So now I'm consciously making a choice not to move forward. So first is recognizing that it is a choice. And I say this all the time in the OR too. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get something from my car, which they all know is like, I'm not coming back if I go to my car. No one let her go to the car. <laughs> but it's it's funny because I say it in jest, but what I'm doing is giving myself permission to recognize that there's a choice that I actually literally could go to my car. I mean, I'll get sued. The patient may die and you know I'll lose my job and you know all the things. So in that instance, even though it's a choice, it's not one I'm choosing. So then what happens is, is that I voice that I have a choice. I voice that I'm going to choose purposefully what I'm doing. And it already puts me back into the control of, I am in control of my career. I have decided to stay in this environment, even though it's uncomfortable, even though I don't want to. In this very moment, I've chosen to do this. So now I choose to see that patient rather than I have to because huge difference in feelings. hundred percent. Those oughts and shoulds are so impactful, right? That we have to do something or we should do something. And the fact is we are not going to walk out with no patient on the table in the middle of surgery. However, there have been times where I'm like, I'm not doing a good job. Let me call a partner in so I can go and take a little break. Or let me just walk out in a safe part of that operation to go use the bathroom and recompose myself. So even that tiny little choice, you know, I'm not going to abandon my patient, but there are ways for me to get through that tough spot in that operation that may be actually really helpful. And once you empower yourself, you're making a decision, even if it's a really, even if it's a hard place to be, once you are making the decision to engage in something, your entire attitude changes and the way you think about it, the attitude you bring to it and by that. The results, right? Yes. 
like all of a sudden you're like, okay, this was the best we could do for this patient today. This is what we could do. And it may not be the optimal outcome, but we have done our best and we have put our effort into doing it. And that makes a difference. Yes. I love the decision in the operating room to call someone. So it's funny because we tell ourselves we don't know what to do. I mean, but we really do. The choice that we want to make is obvious. So take us through some of the things that keep us from making the choice that we know we want to do. Because the first thing is we tell ourselves we don't know what to do and and we totally know what to do. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We've been through this a lot of times, right? So I think oftentimes pride, you know, the idea, how will it be perceived if, for instance, if I have to call for help in the operating room, how will the resident across the table or the assist across the table think about me? How will the nursing staff in the room, the anesthesia staff in the room, how will they think about me? How will this partner or somebody else in the hospital, because my partner's not available, how will that surgeon think about me when I need help? And so I think pride is a huge thing, right? And what's amazing about it is that we all know some of the best surgeons we, we know We'll call people in. And if you you can do it in a way like, hey, I'm in a tough space and I need, I, I value your opinion. That doesn't have to be a negative. It can be a positive. And again, that's a lot about like how the, the attitude is and making that your choice. I am choosing to get help here because I'm in a ha- hard spot and I know what's best for the patient is for me to get another set of eyes on here. So pride is a huge one, right? And we can vary how that is. Yes. And it all goes into this idea of, of mind reading. We know internally what the choice is for us, just like you've done for your job. We know that we need to call somebody in this moment. I'm having the urge to call someone, they will help. But the worry that I have that they're going to think badly of me is going, that's the thought and the feeling that we have before we go into that decision of calling someone. And so if we think it's okay for me to call someone and I call them, then that comes across much better than if we say, I shouldn't call them and I'm going to wait longer. And now I'm really, and everyone's sitting there. Now the entire environment is really, everyone's on edge. And so then I finally do what I knew what I always wanted to do, which was call someone. And by that time, I'm calling from a place of desperation and frustration and fear worse than had we gone with the decision that we wanted to make in the first place. The other thing though, is that sometimes when we're in that moment, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so horrible. I don't know what to do. We just think there aren't any decisions, right? And by staying in a place where you're like, or giving yourself a moment to be like, okay, this is a really horrible case. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, this is just way worse than I expected to stop and pause and say, okay, there are choices, what are my choices, right? You know, I could just close this patient and not, not do anything, you know, or I can call a partner or I can, and then you can even, then you start to weigh what are the pluses and minuses of each of those choices. But to stop in a moment where you're like, I am in a really uncomfortable place. Sometimes for me, it's just almost like, I feel like a deer in the headlights where I literally stop. And you're like, Oh, this is so uncomfortable. Okay. Okay that is telling me something. And what that is telling me is that I need to figure a different way out. And there always are different ways out. I like how you said that too, because like we jump to the choice of call a partner or not, but there's a thousand different choices before that. 
we don't actually have to decide a big thing at that moment because just like you said, right now, my choice is to stop for a minute and take a deep breath. <laughs> yes. My choice is to change my perspective by going to the other side of the table and looking at it from a different angle. My choice is to walk away and just walk around the table once and just take a deep breath. There are a zillion different choices that we can have. Exactly. And I think like what sounds like what you're describing is instead of looking at the big thing is that we narrow it down to the smallest thing and the infinite little small choices that are the small steps that get us to something bigger. Well, and it's funny because our surgical training, I remember so clearly, you know, the saying, when you walk into a trauma, the first pulse you need to check is your own, right? And the reason that we have ABCs in a trauma mm-hmm. is because when things are really crazy, we need to have a structure to go back to. So you can do the same thing with any of your choices, whether that's a choice in the operating room or a choice in somewhere else, where you say, okay, when I get that feeling of feeling cornered in whatever way, whether that's in a conversation, whether that's in the operating room, whether that's in my clinic is too full. I feel cornered. I feel like this is not a good place. Okay. So what's my ABC for myself to realize that I am in a place with choices and this applies in the tiny little things. And it also applies in, it applies in the big things like okay, I'm not really happy in my job or I'm not in the space I want to be. How do I change things? And you're like, oh, I can't because I have bills and I have obligations and I have a family and I have, what are those things? The fact is we all have a zillion choices. And what we need to do first is take that, take that deep breath, step away from the table, figure out what we can change in that moment and start thinking about what are, what are our choices? What are our options? It sounds like you've labeled two things that, that cause us to not make choices. Is one is not recognizing that we have choices. And two is like if we have the emotional, like too much, like dense emotions, I guess, in that moment, that we will inhibit ourselves from allowing ourselves to make decision for fear, I suspect, of what, what each pathway might hold. <laughs> I think maybe the fact that I've been told so many times that I couldn't do what I do. And the fact that I have reinvented myself so many times in my life, I went from literally realtor to surgeon, like that's not a a common pathway. I think that those, I would say, and again, now to professional development and coach, I think that has enabled me to see that everything is a choice, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel really fortunate that I have this history of saying, that I have the ability to become better at being me, more powerful in my own self by rethinking things at certain times. And and we were chatting a little bit before we got started. Most of us know somebody who kind of narrowed their focus or changed their focus or really went with their dream. And all of a sudden they took off. They were so amazingly powerful. They were able to do whatever it was that they wanted to do. And I think that's about empowering yourself in that choice, right? When you say, you know what? I don't want this and that and that and this. I want to go this pathway. This is where I want to go. All of a sudden, you're so much more powerful. You're so much more committed. Work doesn't seem like work. You go into, you know, you're to do coach speak. You go into your flow state, the space that you just enjoy yourself. Like for me, that's been the operating room is like just being in the operating room, time stands still. And you're like, oh wait, I haven't eaten, peed or 
you know, sat down in the last 12 hours. Like that's okay because I was in a space where I was so engaged, but you can do that professionally too. Like even outside of the operating room, which is super cool and super powerful, but you need to be willing to make those choices. Well, I like that you described, interestingly enough, like our ability to neglect some of our basic needs. If we're in a flow state, we don't do all these things. And a lot of non-surgeons don't understand that. And they actually want to take our choice away of saying, you should do it this way. You have to have these breaks and things like that. But in that moment, I never actually thought about it. I didn't really feel like I was suffering or anything like that. But if someone comes along and says, you've made the wrong choice, I was like, I don't actually feel like I did it's going back to, you know, empower us to make the right decision and asking ourselves. and I guess this is an interesting direction to go to, how do you know when you've made the right choice versus a choice that was not right for you? So I would actually move away a little bit from the word, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think that life is about, there's one path that is right and correct for you. And there's one path that is wrong for you. I think most of us make the best decisions we can with the information we have at any moment, right? And by realizing that those are decisions, that's really empowering. And then once you walk down a road, one direction, you have to make it work for you. Mm -hmm. I don't think things just magically fall into place. It's either the work you did before that enables it to kind of seem like it magically falls into place, or it's the work you do during that pathway that makes it feel like it magically falls in place. And that doesn't mean that they're not decisions that aren't good. Like we all know people who've taken a job that was just a really horrible job or something like that. But your ability to make lemonade out of even the decisions that seem more difficult or hard. And like my decisions in my life I don't regret having spent time as a ski instructor or as a backpacking instructor or as a realtor. It's just that that was the path that I was on then. And those have enabled me to be on a different path now because of where I was. Right. And I think a really important thing is when we have paths and we choose a a certain path that it should be like forbidden for us to go back and judge ourselves for the, the path that we chose because with new information, we could look back and tell ourselves the path that we chose was not right. But it should be forbidden. We, we have to remember that we made the best choice with the information we had at the time. And now that we have new information, it's not fair to go back and judge ourselves because we had no idea of knowing. It's it's not like, do you remember those books to where you go like, if you choose this, go to page 50. And if you choose this, go to page 25. And like, how many of us like went back to page 25, we pick 50 and said, Dang, I should have done that. <laughs> I wouldn't have fallen that's off the cliff. It was a choose your own adventure. Yes. You know, I think the other thing too, Amy, that's so important, particularly in surgery and particularly seeing like our young colleagues and things like that, is that it, you've worked so hard to get to where you are. And so many people have done that straight and narrow. And it's almost like they're on one of those escalators at the airport, right? It only brings you one direction, only brings you one place. And so all of a sudden you see colleagues that maybe have more or have gotten different opportunities or opportunities that look really cool or taken different paths. And we kind of think we're on this like escalator and everyone's going the wrong, the same direction. The fact of the matter is, that it's not an escalator. There are a zillion different paths and there's not certain places 
you have to be, right? Like you do not have to sit for your boards the first time around. People take their boards later or people take a job and then change jobs and do things. And we just see this as a one, like there's one winner almost, and there's going to be one way to win. But, and this goes back really to choice is what is your version of winning? What's your version of success? Where is it you want to be? And mine may be very, very different from somebody else's. And so why should I keep comparing my, you know, landmarks and my achievements to somebody else? It doesn't make any sense, right? Like they wrote more papers than I did. They got a promotion I didn't get. They're making more money than I did. I make. Those are all things that you need to stay kind of in your own version of success and what will success be for you? And what are those pieces that you need? And that will help you by having a, a vision of where you want to go, a, a direction you want to go in. That will help you make those choices and help you some playing that comparison game that I think is really deadly for us. Yes. And we are not the only one doing the comparing, which is, could be where the challenges can come from. Like when we compare, we, we create despair in ourselves. But when other people compare saying like, how did you get where you're at? You didn't take the path that I did. You shouldn't be a realtor and be a surgeon. That's not okay. You know, we're going to come across someone offering their unsolicited opinion based on their perceptions in life too. So I think that if we're creating rules, we're just making stuff up. We are not allowed to judge ourselves, and neither should someone else judge our path. hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's, I think, the better idea you want of where you want to go that you have, the more self-contained you are and the less you feel both judged by other people and to judge yourself, you know, compare in comparison to other people. So it's kind of like figuring out where your own, figuring out your own lane and then feeling really good about where you're going. I completely agree. And how we treat ourselves along the way is also going to be you know, showing us evidence of how we're going to treat ourselves in the future. Like if I consistently doubted the choices that I made, I'd be much less hesitant, or I'd be much more hesitant to make decisions in the future. And if I relied on other people to tell me if my choices were correct, I'm always going to be at the mercy of someone else. And if that decision aligns with what I would want to do, then there's not a huge amount of distress. But when I know that I don't want to do what I'm doing, and someone, you know, but I'm relying on someone else, let's say, for example, example, continuing along the surgery path that we're doing, rather than pivoting to a different way of this. If we are always listening for someone else to tell us what our choice is, we are always at the mercy of what they say. And if it's in direct misalignment with how we feel about ourselves, we're eroding that relationship with ourselves. And we're now even less likely to make good decisions. Yeah. And that brings up something else I love, which is kind of practice positivity. Mm-hmm. The whole idea that Rewarding yourself for the things you do. You know, all of us, in order to get to medical school, in order to be surgeons, we did really well in school, right? And we brought home our report card. And most of the time, our parents said, Hey, what happened in math? You didn't do as well as you should have in math. They didn't look at the A pluses you got in the other, the other subjects, right? They just looked at the part you didn't do well. Well, we kind of do the same thing to ourselves, right? Oh man, you know, like, I'm so behind on charting. I can't believe that I'm like, I have 20 charts to close this weekend. What about all the things you did do? Wow, I got through that really tough surgery. Wow, I had that conversation that was really difficult to have with a peer. You know, I had this, I did this, I did that. You know, I sent off a paper. 
And now I have 20 charts to close. But what we need to do is we need to practice telling ourselves about the positive. Mm-hmm. A number of years ago, the Association of Women Surgeons, I think it was Celeste Hollins, had this great speaker in. She was in tech and she was this amazing woman, really bright and everything. Every time she had a win, she would buy herself a donut, like from a different donut shop. She traveled all over the place and had these pictures. And at that point, it was probably on Facebook, like these pictures of her eating these donuts to celebrate every one of her wins. And she had this, both this catalog and took this moment to celebrate the things she did well. So often I got that paper done. I got that promotion. I got through that tough case. Boom. What's my next, you know, I better go back and sign my charts. We're not celebrating those pieces of what we do. The more we celebrate it, the more we have this positivity and reserve that we can use when we need it. It's funny how we don't even hear it. I posted in the group, the boss coaching group about positivity rounds. Like, are you actually like listening to what the patients say and the nurses say? Because they say like the most remarkable stuff about us all the time and we don't even hear it. I actually, I think it was just like even one week where they said like, you say my life and I'm glad you're my doctor. And I really appreciate all that you're doing. They say all these things that we just kind of brush off or don't even hear So first is hearing the words that are out there, but being proactive and deciding ahead of time that a path is positive is, is something that I started doing in the operating, which is working out really well. I like walk in, I was like, this is going to be the best appendectomy ever. It's actually like part of my, the, what is it? The timeout. (laughs) I love it. You know, what's really funny is that they start saying it ahead of time. So I walk in and like, we're about to do the best appendectomy ever. And then all of a sudden, like it really influences the entire environment. And if something goes wrong, I mean, not to be dissuaded, like, well, that didn't, well, this is the best one today. (laughs) This is the best. Really what it does is it actually creates that environment to where everyone is showing up. Everyone is buying into this idea of like, I am showing up because this is going to be the best. And that level of anticipating positivity is is really powerful. I love it. I love it. I think there's so much room for us to do work in there and to to just to just give ourselves a break, right? You know, so often we are critical, right? I I remember my dad, who was a surgeon, saying, "Perfect is not is not the goal; is the expectation." Mm-hmm. right? Like that we have to be perfect and we need to like, there are times when we're not perfect. Most of the time we're not perfect. And we need to kind of really take, have some of that reserve of the times where maybe we were really great. Right. And a lot of times, like, especially when you mentioned that too, like we expect to be perfectionist and we expect for a perfect outcome. And why would we not want to? I mean, I think the biggest thing is us resisting that desire for it. But what happens is, is that something doesn't turn out exactly like what we expect, essentially failure because the outcome is not what we expected. But this, what happens from that, that expectation not being met is that we have an emotion. And what happens is that we try to create logic to solve an emotional problem. And that's why it doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. And just even saying, gosh, I'm disappointed, right? I, I have disappointment because this outcome wasn't yes. what I wanted. And so now my choice is what do I do about it next? Where's my next space? Exactly. And then trying to talk yourself out of being disappointed doesn't always work. Like everyone's like, oh, it's expected and all the things. They say all the right things, which are true, but they're trying to logically resolve 
a, a negative emotion, which is sometimes it's just naming, just like you said, I'm feeling disappointed. So I'm just going to sit and recognize that too is a choice to stay in disappointment. And sometimes you want to, like, why would you not want to be disappointed that it didn't work out? But a different emotion is also a choice. Shame is a choice. Like, I'm going to feel bad about myself in this situation. Is the Emotions are also a choice that we can make. And some we are actually choosing to make. Yes, I choose to feel crappy in this moment. I, fe- I choose to feel angry and frustrated. And I mean, I think there's a misconception about coaching is that you're just trying to, to slap something happy on stuff. And it's not. It's, it's recognizing I have the choice to choose how I'm, my life looks. I have the choice to feel how I feel. And I am both the problem and the solution when it comes to how I feel. And that's pretty empowering, right? That's mm-hmm. that's like the ultimate, I have the choices. I own my life and I own my emotions and I own good, bad, otherwise. I mean, that's just, I think, I think healthcare right now is tough. And I think there are a lot of places where we feel like other people are making decisions for us. And I think by taking the time and recognizing that we have control over virtually every decision. We may not be able to change a rule the administration came to pass down, but we have the choice of how to react to it, whether to walk away from that job, whether or not to walk away from that job. That's a lot of, that's a lot of choice. And Mm -hmm. instead what we do is go, gosh, it's too hard. So I'm going to just complain about this. I'm just not going to, I'm, I'm going to, begrudge whatever happened or whatever situation I'm in. And when we all do that, we lose our collective power and we also lose control of our, our profession, right? Right. Like all of a sudden other people are making so many decisions. And it's because a lot of the time we're choosing to just go along with decisions that aren't good for us and aren't good for our patients. Right. And yes, totally hard. I mean, like you have a day where a decision is made that, that affects you. And in that moment, I am frustrated because I did not make this choice, but I did make that choice because I chose this job. So first recognizing that, yes, I chose to be here and I, I chose to show up today. And again, you actually don't have to do anything. I could go home that very moment. I'd probably lose my job, but whatever it is a choice. So recognize it. I'm choosing to be here and I'm choosing to feel frustration and I'm choosing to spend some time and asking myself, why am I frustrated? And then asking myself, what is my next choice? What is my next choice? What do I want to do? And deciding to stay when you're frustrated is a choice and it doesn't have to be a bad one. Meaning that you can be frustrated in that moment and still stay in that job and each day re-choosing what you want to do. Like I'm frustrated today, but I'm still going to show up tomorrow because I need the job and I want I want the job. You know, I'm telling myself I need it, but really what I do is I want it. I want the security of it. I want the financial stuff. I want the challenge of it. I do not want some of these parts. And so each day I'm going to decide, do I show up today or no? <laughs> and you know, it's funny. I'm laughing because I remember as a resident having like those horribly horrible days, particularly as a junior resident, you know, where everything was coming down on you and it was just really tough. And I was like, listen, I'm not going to leave today because I don't want to screw my fellow co-residents and everything. I'm going to stay, I'm going to finish today, but tomorrow, I don't know if I'm going to come in or not. And just having that as in my brain was empowering because it was like, 
No, you know what? I'm going to push through today, but tomorrow I can think about it all over again. And tomorrow would come and I would come back in and do it again. And, but there were days like that. Right. And, but that was like my little mantra in my head, even back then was that I have a choice here. I am mm-hmm. choosing to stay because I do not want the consequences of walking out of the hospital at this moment when I just got yelled at or berated for whatever. And I'm choosing to stay. And tomorrow I'm going to have another choice. Exactly. And sometimes it could be that simple enough to get you out of a bad thing, but recognizing that at some point getting up and going to work is not going to happen. At some point we will make the decision that I will not continue to choose this. Someone, a friend of mine, Wendy Schofer, she was on the podcast earlier, posted something yesterday about medicine being a calling. And I told her that 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 was actually a really great way to phrase it because we take it as a calling. The phone rang, we answered, we stayed on the phone. (laughs) And one day we may just hang up. And when other other phones rang, you know, so that we have lots of callings in our life and it changes all the time. We think we're signing up for one job, but I think every job is changes every year. I mean, I've been in my current sort of job almost seven years now, and every year is a little bit different. So I'm choosing to to go to a different job every time. And it's it's understanding that everything does change. This was really helpful in, I think, empowering us for the most important thing, which is telling ourselves we don't have a choice. And so I think that what you have offered here is so helpful and so powerful, recognizing that even if we think we don't have a choice, we actually do. So tell us, you know, speaking of choices, I know that you have chosen to start focusing on a different calling. So take us through that. Yeah. So I've been doing coaching and professional development for probably about seven years now in different forms and different shapes, mostly through institutions or through societies. I run the Association of Women Surgeons Coaching Program and have done professional development, both at Case Western and other places as well. And so about six months ago, I'm actually finishing up a sabbatical right now where I am taking time to build my own professional development and leadership coaching business, which is super fun. It's my, that kind of, I guess my new flow state, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love the idea of empowering people to find their voices within surgery and to figure out how to effectively use them to empower them to do whatever it is they want to do and to move on to their next phase in life. So that to me is amazingly fun to do. I think that all of us, as we go along in our career, a different phone starts ringing. And so like when you had this idea that I'm going to help these women surgeons who are trying to figure out what is next, that I know how to help them is essentially by telling them all the choices that they do have. And I think that's the biggest hurdle is thinking that we don't. And so if someone were interested in that, like you're speaking to them right now and where would they find you? So they can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook and on Twitter in those places. I have two different things that I'm doing right now. One is a one-on-one coaching, which I'm in the process of kind of launching the brand of that, which will be the intentional surgeon. And so soon to be on the web as well, but, but not quite there as of at least the taping of this, maybe by the time it airs, it'll be up there. Um, The other piece is a group professional development program that we launched in the summer of 2023, which is called the Surgeon's Lounge. And that one, I coach both women and men surgeons in my personal coaching program, but that is particularly for Surgeon's Lounge. And it's kind of fun. Like if you think about the Surgeon's Lounge, it used to 
sometimes it was even in the men's locker room historically. It was a place that women couldn't go to. They couldn't figure out those secrets. They didn't have the ability to get into that space and to have the mentorship and the clinical help and the sponsorship that a lot of the guys got. So my myself and a partner, Heather Broad, who is out of Ohio State University and uh, is not a surgeon, but is an excellent coach, have created this product together where we're doing group professional development and coaching all on Zoom and launched our our, our first cohort, our pilot this summer. So that is super fun. So it sounds like if someone is interested in one-on-one, they search for your name or the intentional surgeon to, to work with you one-on-one. And for those women surgeons that for this group that I know that you mentioned you're opening in the fall called the Surgeon's Lounge, and where can they find information other than LinkedIn? Do you have a website? Yes. So the Surgeon's Lounge is at thesurgeonslounge.org. So you will find it there and there's a mailing list where our our doors are currently closed because we're in the middle of a cohort, but we plan to launch another one later this year and they can definitely get on the waiting list to do that. And they can find me through all different types of social media in the interim. I'm always happy to talk to people. Yes. And if you want to work with both of us, you should come to the Association of Women Surgeons in Boston in October. This is an excellent conference that is built and has been built for supporting women surgeons as well. And so Dr. Stein and I will both be there and as well as some other surgeon coaches here too, to really demystify a lot of what coaching is and show what is possible for other people. And that is if you register, there are free events here too. So I highly encourage you to come. It's a great conference anyway, and we'll both be there and support. Absolutely. And I just want to say, I think Amy, you have probably done more than anybody else in kind of just opening people's eyes within the surgical community into the idea of coaching and kind of what's there. I love following you on all your different social medias. And I just think that you put so much out there, including the new congratulations on your new book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's awesome because I think there's so many people like probably the two of us who need help getting over some obstacles and figuring out where they can be because they deserve to be happy as surgeons. There's a lot of work to do, right? If we can help make them happier people and happier surgeons, we're doing a service for them and we're doing a service for our patients and for our future as a profession. I think there's so much opportunity to make things better. I completely agree. And it's it's along the principle lines that a rising tide floats all boats. So if I can empower other people to be better, this is how we make medicine better. This is how we make surgery better. That's how we make it sustainable for all of us. And I think that the more we realize that, the less we're going to hold ourselves back. We're going to start realizing what our limiting thoughts are. And we start really fixing it because we really are the solution in medicine that we as surgeons and other doctors as well is like, we are the ones that have the most invested and we're most interested in simply showing people how to do that and that it's possible and that we really are the solution. I think that's the best payment I can imagine. Thank you so much for having me today. It's been just fun to get to chat with you. Likewise. And I suspect there'll be more in the future. (laughs) For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.